Well, welcome, um, welcome everyone, wherever you're uh, tuning in from. It's great to uh, have you with us. Um, we're continuing our series in uh, Proverbs this morning, and Mark is going to be uh, speaking to you about um, uh, righteousness as a way of life from uh, Proverbs 10. Um, just a couple of notices. Um, if you're in the prayer team, we uh, please would you um, just uh, stick around um, at the end of the service. Um, there's anybody who would like prayer. Nigel may well use you to uh, to uh, in a in a breakout room. If anybody wants prayer, then please um, uh, text or phone the the, the Nigel's uh, number, which was uh, on the opening slide. Or Nigel, I'm sure, will do as he usually does and uh, put a, a, a chat message up as well during the service. So if you'd like prayer after the service, please do just text uh, the number, including your name, and uh, we'll make sure that uh, a member of the prayer team is available for you uh, at the end of the service. But prayer team, please don't uh, rush away. Um, please stick around, and then uh, Nigel will uh, may well ask you to, to, uh, to pray with, with people. Um, yeah, I think that's the, uh, th those are the main um, sort of notices. I'm just going to read, uh, to lead us into uh, our first song, I'm going to read uh, from Daniel chapter 7, which is a um, vision of, of Daniel. And he says this, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So Sam and uh, Sarah are going to lead us in our time of singing. Blessing and honour Glory. 
in power. You are majestic. You are glorious. And thank you that you didn't keep that majesty, that power, that glory confined to heaven, but that in Christ you came among us. You have made, Jesus, you made known the glory of the Father to us. You embodied the Father's sovereign majesty and power and glory as you walked among us. Thank you for making the grace and truth of God known to us in your own person. And we ask now that as we journey together through this service today, that by your Holy Spirit, you would move in power among us, giving us wisdom to understand more of who you are and all that you've done and helping us to respond to your word this morning. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I have the, uh, uh, the privilege of uh, bringing you the All Age Talk this morning, but it's, I'm, not, uh, I'm not doing uh, a story 
as uh, Mark has, has, has done before. I'm uh, going to talk to you this morning about proverbs as, uh, as sayings. So, um, Steve, I just wonder if you could uh, stick up my... Thank you. So, I wonder, what is the theme of the book of Proverbs in the Bible? Well, the theme, really, of the book of Proverbs is that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, what fear means there is um, the love, the, the worship, the reverence of God is the beginning of, worship, of wisdom. So fearing God is to love him, serve him, submit to him, obey him, worship him, and to make him central um, to all that we are in our lives. It's to live for him in our, in our families, our workplaces, our community, in every aspect of our lives, it's to be centered on Jesus Christ and to live for his glory. But what, does, what do we mean by wisdom? Well, the um, Oxford Dictionary defines wisdom as the ability to make sensible decisions and give good advice based on knowledge and experience. Maybe you know those people who give you good advice, friends, family, who you go to uh, for advice. Well, they, you might call them wise people because they, they, they just seem to know the right answer at the right time for the right purpose. And you go to them for wisdom. Um, but moving on, <coughs> um, a proverb, what is a proverb? Well, a proverb is a short statement known by many people that gives advice or wisdom of, of how to live. That's according to the Cambridge Dictionary. Um, now. I wonder, um, does anybody, unmute yourselves for this, can anybody give me some common English proverbs? Not, not, um, not proverbs in the Bible, but um, sayings and proverbs, wise sayings that are, that are known in, in our English language. Um, just unmute yourself and shout them out, that'd be great. Oh yes, I can. Um, I've got one which is blood is thicker than water. Great, thank you, Sarah. <laughs> Pleasure. Anybody um, else? A stitch yep. in time saves nine. Oh, I was going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> Too many cooks spoil the broth. Yeah, brilliant. Oh, yes. Thank you. <laughs> I've been paused before. <laughs> Sorry, Alan. What was that, Alan? Pride is. Uh, Pride comes before a fall. Is that what you meant? Mine, thank you. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, lovely. Thank you. Something Look about before you leap. Look before you leap. Yeah. Something about casting a clout before May is out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh. Take clothes off or something. Yeah. Hats. Wow. Yeah. Many hands cast a clout before May. Thank you. <laughs> ah, there we go. Some wisdom there. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like an old Stratford saying, that Pat. Uh, no, I didn't get it right. The other lady got it right. Janet got it right. Any, any others? Many hands make light work. Brilliant. Thank you, Alison. I'm sure oh. that that's um, very relevant to your situation with new baby up there. <laughs> any others? Uh, too many cooks spoil the broth. I was just going to say that. Oh. <laughs> it's a good job we're not all in church. It is, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It would be. <laughs> well, business as usual, really, isn't it, with this sort of thing. So, okay, well, here's a few um, on the screen that I'm going to share share with you. Um, a bird in the hand is worth uh, two in the bush. I don't know if you know, but um, uh, this 
basically, this is a this is a saying about from comes out of um, falconry from from the fifteenth century apparently, and um, it means it's better to hold on to something that you already have than be looking at two other birds in the bush. In other words, don't go chasing after more things when you already have the most valuable thing in your hand. So be content with what you have. Is another one. Uh, all work and no play uh, makes Jack a dull boy. Um, now this comes from the days apparently when people work six and a half or seven days a week. Um, and it acknowledges that all work makes a person uninteresting. Um, so uh, that's where that one comes from. The next one. Don't put all your eggs in one um, basket, which is uh, uh, pretty much self-explanatory, isn't it? Um, about, uh, you know, spreading your risk or investments and things like that. Uh, next one. Don't let, <laughs> don't let the cat out of the bag. Now, this is an interesting one. If I can just um, find my notes here as to the, uh, uh, the derivation of this one. Don't let the cat, oh, here we are. In medieval England, piglets were sold in the open marketplace. The seller usually kept the pig in a bag, so it would be easier for the buyer to take it home. But shady sellers often tried to trick their buyers by putting a large cat in the bag. So if a shrewd shopper looked in the bag, then the cat was out of the bag. So that's where that one comes from. Um, um, that, oh yeah, here we go. A leopard cannot change its spots. Um, Anybody know what that one's saying? What's that one about? You can unmute. Shout it out. Unmute. What is that, what is that saying? A leopard cannot change its spots. You are what can be observed of you. Yeah, you are what you are. You, you, you can't change. Um, but is, this, is that last one in particular actually true, I wonder? Well, if we go to the Proverbs in the Bible, um, let's have a look at uh, let's have a look at the proverbs in in the Bible. So we can move. Uh, here we are. True wisdom is found in the proverbs in in the Bible. So here's one from Proverbs 14: The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, turning a person from the snares of death. So the old English proverb says a leopard can't change its spots. Um, now pro the proverbs in the Bible would disagree with that. If we fear the Lord, if we love the Lord and submit to him and respect him and obey him, we actually we can actually find a fountain of life. A fountain is a is a picture of life bubbling up and going on forever and ever. And it turns a person from the snares of death. Now, death here means life without God. It means spiritual death. It means a, a life of without meaning, purpose, a life without purpose and hope. And so. If we turn to fear the Lord, if we submit to him and obey him and love him and worship him, we find a fountain of life. We find life in all its fullness. So actually, some of the English proverbs are not very helpful. And the Bible is the true wisdom because it's based on um, Solomon's wisdom, which, of course, was fulfilled and made perfect in Jesus, who was the perfect wisdom of God. So Jesus was one who was greater than Solomon. His wisdom was even greater than Solomon's. And Solomon wrote a lot of the Proverbs, but Jesus had even greater wisdom. So some of the old English Proverbs might be quite helpful to general situations in life, but some of them don't quite line up with what God says in the Bible. 
So if you want to find true wisdom, look to Jesus and look to uh, the proverb sayings in the Bible. They're full of these beautiful sayings, often a one-liner or a two-liner, that just gives us a little um, summary of how to live wisely and to enjoy life in all its fullness. And now, something very special for you this morning, because Mary Parrish is going to share with us some of her wisdom um, gleaned from the laboratory of life itself. Thank you, Mary. Um, can everybody hear me? I've unmuted myself. Is that okay? <clears throat> Good morning, everybody. Um, when Martin asked me to say something today about my experience of relating God's wisdom to parenting um, and family, I had to smile because I'd just come back from spending a few days in Norfolk with my younger daughter, Hannah, and her family. And hearing Hannah and Steve's concerns over how to handle their two teenagers took me back to Jenny and Hannah's own teenage years and how difficult I found it, especially as it coincided with Simon working away from home for the first time in our married life. I was often at my wits end when they could always get the better of me in any discussion or argument. Some of you here today will remember supporting us through those times when you probably knew more of what was going on in their lives than we did. But as we were talking last week, Hannah gave me an example of my wisdom, which I must say gave me some encouragement as I often felt a failure during those years particularly. It was when she wanted a motorbike. The very thought filled me with horror. I knew Simon didn't feel that to the same extent as I did because he'd ridden a motorbike himself in the past. I can remember talking to Hannah calmly about my reasons for not wanting her to have one. But I said at the end of the day, I couldn't stop her and it had to be her decision and I would go along with whatever she decided. I clearly remember too, her taking herself off to the park to think and pray while I uh, desperately cried out to God and, and left it in his hands. Much to my relief, she returned saying she decided not to buy a motorbike. Apparently she's always remembered that incident as an example of wise parenting. No doubt many of us felt as Simon and I did when our first baby was born, we're often at a loss and helpless no matter how many books we'd read or classes we'd been to. And it's even more complicated these days with all the information and advice available to new parents on the internet. But I remember early on at the first spring harvest event we went to, a wise speaker reminding us that our children are a gift from God, uniquely precious to him, entrusted to us to raise to the best of our ability but ultimately they belong to him. And the best thing we can do for them is to give them to him, to let go of our ambitions and expectations for them, but always seek God, what, or but always seek what God has planned for their lives. And I remember doing that there and then. Even in the day-to-day -day disciplining and arguments, we need God's wisdom, not just our own common sense. We need wisdom to know when to interfere or not, when to make an issue out of something, when to keep quiet. Body piercing and tattoos spring to mind at this point. We can only do our best, but God promises to help and guide us if we ask him. James chapter one, verse five says, if any of you lacks wisdom, 
he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to him. It's all too easy to do things our way first and only turn to God when we run out of ideas. And parenting doesn't end when our children become independent adults. We see them grappling with huge problems and facing their own struggles. We see the world our grandchildren are growing up in. And again, we can seek God's wisdom for them and his plans for them. We need to stand back and only give advice and suggestions when asked. It's all too easy to interfere and try to make decisions for them. One of the hardest issues Simon and I had to face was when Jenny wanted to adopt a little girl, Simona, from Romania. Again, many of you supported us through those challenging and difficult times. Jenny first went out to Romania to help with disabled children in an orphanage when she was still a student. After a couple of years of working there every holiday, she told us she felt God was asking her to adopt Simona, who had some severe mental and physical problems. At the time, it wasn't at all, at all what we'd have envisaged for our 22-year-old single daughter. Humanly speaking, it didn't seem a wise thing to do. We could only share our thoughts and feelings with her and put it into God's hands and seek his wisdom. It was another five years of setbacks and perseverance on Jenny's part and anguish on ours before Simona was allowed to come to the UK. And of course, it hasn't been plain sailing in the 22 years since. It's, <clears throat> it's been a great blessing that as a family, we've always been able to pray together through these difficult times seeking God's wisdom in many different situations. God never lets us down if we trust in the promises in his word and seek his will first and foremost. Often we used to feel as parents that we'd made mistakes, were floundering and failed our children, but God has held on to them. And now I often feel I'm the one to benefit from their God-given wisdom. It was ironic in a way that the last job Simon had before he retired was running parenting courses in the borough of Hillingdon, as well as at church here. By then, perhaps he felt he'd learnt from our own experiences, good and bad, and can pass on this wisdom to others. We also had the privilege of running a number of the HTB marriage enrichment courses at church, which many, many of you will remember taking part in. They were biblically based, but open to anyone, and each time we led a course, we were drawn back to its wisdom for our own marriage. Throughout our lives, we benefited from the advice and support of wise and godly friends. As we all grow in our faith and God's wisdom, we can pass that on to our children and grandchildren. And of course, in the daily conversations we have and in the everyday decisions we have to make. I'll end this with a, a verse from Proverbs. Chapter 3, verse 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Thank you. Thanks, Mary. That was really powerful. And uh, thank you for being so uh, transparent and honest uh, about the good times and, and the struggles. That's so, so helpful and really earths wisdom in the practicalities of parenting and family life and marriage um, that's that's brilliant thank you so much for, for sharing your your heart there we really really appreciate that um, um that leads nicely really into into a time of, of fellowship prayers so let me let me lead us in in prayer 
Thank you, Father God, that you are the giver of all wisdom and that we see wisdom fulfilled and embodied in the life, the words, the character and the ministry of your son, Jesus Christ. And we thank you, Father, that you give wisdom to all who ask you for it so that we can glorify you in the way that we speak, the way that we use our money, the way that we act justly in our work, in our family lives and in all our relationships. And we thank you for the way that your wisdom has guided Mary and Simon and their family throughout their lives and for the blessing that she and Simon have been to so many by living out your wisdom. But Father, as concerns over coronavirus continue, we pray for wisdom for the government in knowing how to prevent further increases in infection. And Lord, we, we come against um, this virus again in Jesus' name and we ask you, Father, to intervene and to bring it to an end. We pray for wisdom for scientists in finding an antidote. We pray for schools, colleges and universities as they prepare to welcome students back soon. Lord, please give teachers, lecturers, the wisdom to know how to keep staff and students safe and the strength to persevere through the challenges to come. And Lord, we ask you on behalf of the students too, to give them wisdom as to where to do their A-levels, and where to study at university. Lord, give them wisdom as to the next step. And Father, continue please to give wisdom to doctors, nurses and admin staff in health centres and hospitals as they continue to treat coronavirus, but as they also seek to attend again to other surgery and ongoing treatments. Lord, we pray for wisdom and strength, patience and compassion for those working as carers and managers in our care homes. And Father, we pray for those in our families and in our church who are waiting still for hospital appointments or for further treatment at home, that this would happen soon and when needed. Lord, we pray for those who are anxious about their own health at this time, that you would strengthen them and give them wisdom, Lord, that you are sovereign over all things, including coronavirus. And we pray for those in our families, our church, our community, facing the loss of employment and finding things financially challenging. Father, you are Jehovah Jireh, the provider, and we, we ask you to provide jobs and security and finance for those in need. And Father, we thank you for the Let's Do Lunch initiative at church. Thank you that we were able to serve 48 meals on Thursday. And we pray for your continued blessing on this into next week. We pray for wisdom for Mark as he plans Let's Do Lunch for the October half term, as he plans lessons and assemblies with local schools. We pray for wisdom for Mark as he begins to plan youth activities in this difficult and challenging season. And we pray for wisdom, Lord, for all of our churches, especially the church leaders, as they seek your guidance on how and when to reopen. Lord, we ask you to intervene. Lord, according to your good timing and sovereignty, Lord, show us when is the right time to begin meeting again for worship. But Lord, we commit these things into your hands, asking for your wisdom and insight and discernment. For the glory of Christ, we pray. Amen. Um, Steve is uh, now going to bring us uh, the reading from Proverbs 10.
The Proverbs of Solomon A wise son brings joy to his father, but a foolish son brings grief to his mother. Ill-gotten treasures have no lasting value, but righteousness delivers from death. The Lord does not let the righteous go hungry, but he thwarts the craving of the wicked. Lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. He who gathers crops in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps during harvest is a disgraceful son. Blessings crown the head of the righteous, but violence overwhelms the mouth of the wicked. The name of the righteous is used in blessings, but the name of the wicked will rot. The wise in heart accept commands, but a chattering fool comes to ruin. Whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but whoever takes crooked paths will be found out. Whoever winks maliciously causes grief, and a chattering fool comes to ruin. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Hatred stirs up conflict, but love covers all wrongs. Wisdom is found on the lips of the discerning, but a rod is for the back of the one who has no sense. The wise store up knowledge, but the mouth of a fool invites ruin. The wealth of the rich is their fortified city, but poverty is the ruin of the poor. The wages of the righteous is life, but the earnings of the wicked are sin and death. Whoever heeds discipline shows the way to life, but whoever ignores correction leads others astray. Whoever conceals hatred with lying lips and spreads slander is a fool. Sin is not ended by multiplying words, but the prudent hold their tongues. The tongue of the righteous is choice silver, but the heart of the wicked is of little value. The lips of the righteous nourish many, but fools die for lack of sense. The blessing of the Lord brings wealth without painful toil for it. A fool finds pleasure in wicked schemes, but a person of understanding delights in wisdom. What the wicked dread will overtake them, what the righteous desire will be granted. When the storm has swept by, the wicked are gone, but the righteous stand firm forever. As vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so are sluggards to those who send them. The fear of the Lord adds length to life, but the years of the wicked are cut short. The prospect of the righteous is joy, but the hopes of the wicked come to nothing. The way of the Lord is a refuge for the blameless, but it is the ruin of those who do evil. The righteous will never be uprooted, but the wicked will not remain in the land. From the mouth of the righteous comes the fruit of wisdom, but a perverse tongue will be silenced. The lips of the righteous know what finds favor, but the mouth of the wicked only what is perverse. Thank you, Steve. Um, like the, uh, the background uh, atmosphere there, that was great. And let me, uh, let me pray for Mark and for us as we come to, to God's word. Lord, thank you for your promise in James 1, chapter 5. If, sorry, James chapter 1, verse 5. <laughs> if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. So, Lord, we, we pray for wisdom for Mark as he delivers your word. Lord, guide him, lead him by your Holy Spirit. 
may your anointing be on him. But Lord, we also pray for, for us, the listeners, as we listen and take this word in. We pray, Lord, for wisdom for ourselves in applying your word. Give us wise and discerning hearts to respond to your word this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. It's, uh, it's a real privilege to, to be able to speak to you this morning. Um, I hope you feel the same after I've finished. Um, firstly, I'd just like to say thanks to Sam and Sarah for the, the lovely worship this morning, for, for Ma to Martin for his enlightening expose on, on Proverbs, and uh, especially to Mary. What a great testimony. What a, yeah, just, just lovely. Um, so thank you all. And, and, and Steve for putting everything together, of course. Don't want to forget you, Steve. Um, so today's study is titled Righteousness, A Life to Pursue. And we're changing tack a bit uh, in our, our study of, of Proverbs because the past few weeks we've been looking at wisdom stories, haven't we? These seem to be examples of how to make wise choices and follow God's path in this life. They give real everyday examples of specific situations, contrasting the outcomes of each of the alternatives, both good and bad. Each story has a specific point to make and the imagery helps us to apply those principles in our lives. As we've seen from some of the all-age videos that we've watched over the past few weeks, they can easily be compared to the parables of Jesus. And indeed, Jesus' parables would fit into this section of Proverbs very well, wouldn't they? Jesus is sharing wisdom in the form of stories and metaphors that are easily understood by all, whether educated or not. We think of the wise and foolish builders that we, we looked at a few weeks ago. Uh, the Ten Bridesmaids last week. Others such as the Good Samaritan. And there are so many more. But the section we move to now in Proverbs is quite different in presentation. Gone are the long extended arguments extolling the virtues of wisdom over many verses or even chapters. This section contains short, pithy sayings. The title of the Proverbs of, Proverbs of Solomon. Today we probably call them sound bites or slogans. But again, Jesus used this type of um, poetry in his teaching as well. I'm thinking particularly of Sermon on the Mount and, and the Beatitudes. Blessed are they, blah, 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 for they shall. This little two, two, slow, two line sayings. But is that all they are? Are they just slogans or sound bites? I don't think so. So what are these proverbs? And how should we understand them? I have to say, if I'm honest, in my younger years, 
I didn't really take the book of Proverbs that seriously. I simply viewed them as a collection of, as I said earlier, nice sound bites, each individual and standalone. And as such, when they're quoted in isolation, they could so easily be misinterpreted. I also would have to admit that I was often quite confused by the Proverbs because so many of them seem to contradict one another. But now, as I read the Proverbs, particularly chapters 10 to 29, it's clear to me that far from being isolated sayings, they shouldn't be quoted individually or in isolation because they're all intertwined and interlinked. That's not to say that we can't use them in isolation. We simply need to be aware of the context that surrounds things, the bigger picture, if you like. The way the Proverbs are written in couplet form clearly shows that our actions and choices have consequences. The second line either serves to reinforce and explain the meaning of the first, or to chose, show the consequences of the opposite. They deal with a whole range of different aspects of life, areas in which we may need discernment to make wise choices, such as in verse 21. The lips of the righteous nourish many, but fools die for lack of sense. So how and what we say is important, as well as our actions, and it has impact on others. Our words can be used to build up and strengthen others, or they can be used to hurt and destroy. We need to be careful about what we say and how we say things, always seeking to benefit others. And also, have you noticed that in these chapters, the Proverbs seem to jump around all over the place? One minute, they might be dealing with wealth and poverty. Another minute, dealing with speech. Whilst in another minute, they might deal with joy and sorrow or family situations. Is this just bad planning? Or is this some sort of purpose to that? Wouldn't it be better to group all the different proverbs that deal with one particular issue into one group, one separate section so you could read them all together? Well, I don't think so, you see. I think if we look at life, if I look at my own life, it's not neatly defined into different compartments. It's not separated into different aspects. And I think that's probably true for all of us. Life is jumbled up, particularly at the moment, with all the changing guidance that we have during this coronavirus period, with homeworking, furlough, job losses, financial pressures, children off school and preparing to go back to school in September. One minute, 
we might be dealing with a financial crisis. The next, the kids are fighting. We might be dealing with supporting relatives or the elderly or infirm. Or it may be a myriad of other situations that we find ourselves in. But more likely, we're actually trying to deal with all of these things at the same time. We're trying to juggle a load of balls in the air, aren't we? It seems to me that the random nature of the Proverbs reflects the random nature of our lives. And just as we can't separate aspects of our lives one from another, so the Proverbs should be read as a collective, giving an overview of wisdom. These Proverbs are help, designed to help the reader, and that's us, in those precious situations. They are short, snappy and memorable, quick to bring to mind when we need them. And it's clear that in all things, there are choices to be made. And in his grace, God gives us the freedom to choose. Our choices aren't predetermined. However, as we make those choices, we must be aware of the consequences of those choices. Choices are important. Freedom to choose is important. But the consequences of these choices are certainly as important or maybe even more important. So how do we make wise choices? And what's all this that I've just said got to do with righteousness anyway? I said the title was righteousness a life to pursue. I haven't even mentioned righteousness yet. Well, as we read chapters 10, 11, 12, and through the rest of this section, a distinct theme emerges. You probably noticed it in Steve's reading. And that theme is righteousness. There is a clear contrast here between righteousness and wickedness. A few examples. Verse 3 of chapter 10. The Lord does not let the righteous go hungry, but he thwarts the cravings of the wicked. Verse 6. Blessings crown the head of the righteous, but violence overwhelms the mouth of the wicked. And 7. The name of the righteous is used in blessing. How great is that? But the name of the wicked will rot. And verse 11. The mouth of the righteous is the fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Just as there was a contrast in the first nine chapters of, of Proverbs between wisdom and folly, so here there's a contrast between righteousness and wickedness. It appears that righteousness is being used as a synonym for wisdom, and in the same way, wisdom, wickedness is a synonym for folly. But I have to say, I think that there is a difference between righteousness and wisdom. It may be a slight nuance, but I think it is important. Righteousness is at the heart of everything God does and everything that he is. Wisdom 
is about how to walk in righteousness. I'd also say, as we read the Proverbs, it's important to realize that the righteousness spoken about in the Old Testament, and particularly in chapter 10 here and the, and the following chapters, is somewhat different to the righteousness described in the New Testament. As we read the Old Testament, we need to take into consideration that Jesus has not yet come to reconcile man to God. And therefore, the righteousness in the Old Testament was the outworking of their faith based on an adherence to God's law. So here's a question. Do our choices make us righteous or does our righteousness help us make right choices and if that's the case how do we become righteous in the first place well i think it'd be fair to say that both are true to a certain extent for the israelites for the jews as they sought God's wisdom in their decision-making, as they followed God's law, making good, godly choices, well, some of the time at least, as they followed God's commands, it was credited to them as righteousness. As we saw with Abraham, Abraham believed and trusted God, and his actions bore that out. And that was credited to him as righteousness, as it says in Genesis 15, verse 6. Wisdom and righteousness were the outliving of Abraham's faith in God, in practical obedience to God. But now, since Jesus' incarnation, since his life on earth, death, and resurrection and subsequent ascension to be at the right hand of the Father. He is the embodiment of God's wisdom and righteousness. Obedience to the law was the mark of righteousness for the Jews, but now that's not the case. Because Jesus said that he came to fulfill the law, the, the law. In Matthew 5, he said, Do you think? that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And then he continued in verse 20. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. But how can our righteousness surpass that of the teachers of the law? We see Jesus, because we're all a bit thick, um, he helps us to explain, uh, helps to, uh, us to understand by explaining this in another parable, the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. It's in Luke chapter 18, verses 10 to 14. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, and another, a tax collector. 
the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven. But he beat his breast and said, God have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus said, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. We need to realise that our righteousness is not our own, but it's given to us by God's grace. We cannot any longer earn righteousness. The tables have been turned. Our righteousness is the righteousness that Christ earned on our behalf to reconcile us to God. You see, the Pharisee in this parable believed he was righteous because of his adherence to the law. He was proud of his standing and his religiosity. But the tax collector, he realised that he deserved nothing. Yet, through God's grace, he was justified. Righteousness is not possible in our own strength, but only through our belief, faith and trust in Jesus. And through this faith, through the outpouring of his spirit, we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. As Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We are Christ's relation, uh, representatives here on earth. Our lives and actions should always be as a response to his grace. Our actions don't justify us, but are as a response to the gift of righteousness that's been bestowed upon us. So our actions matter. And it's important that we act. We can't sit on our laurels and think that we don't have to do anything because we've been raised righteous already because of our faith. The righteousness that we're given compels us to act, to follow the commands, an example of Jesus. Not that we receive credit, but that God is glorified through our actions. As James says, but someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. We can't stand by without doing anything. Equally, the righteousness that we receive from God, the wisdom that he gives us, guides us in our actions. The law is not dead. 
but it's fulfilled in Christ. And therefore, by the same token, it should be fulfilled in us. As Jeremiah prophesies of the new covenant, I will put my law in their minds and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. Through the Holy Spirit, God writes the law on our hearts and minds. Our worldview, our perspective should be completely changed to that of God's. We now have an internal compass giving us moral guidance. We're guided by this moral compass along with the scriptures, the Holy Spirit and through prayer. But, of course, we're not the finished article. We're still on a journey to become more like Christ, to glorify God more as his ambassadors. We need to constantly be clothed in the righteousness of God, to receive more of his wisdom, more of his Holy Spirit, and have the law rewritten on our hearts and on our minds constantly so that we might know his will and act in his, license, in his likeness. So as I draw to a close now, I've got a question for you. Do you want more of his righteousness? Do you want more of his wisdom? Do you want to be more like Christ, to see him glorified more in your lives for the extension of his kingdom? I know I do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a righteous God and a generous God. We thank you for your gift of wisdom through what your son, Jesus, did on the cross for us. We thank you that you want to be in relationship with us and you want to work with us. So we pray now, Holy Spirit, come and fill us once more. Heavenly Father, give us more of your righteousness, more of your wisdom, that we might become more like you as your representatives here on earth. Come and fill us afresh. Guide us, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Mark, for that. Um, just as Mark was speaking, I, I just sensed that um, there's a particular response um, that that God would have us uh, make. Um, if we're living out of righteousness, we're going to know God's joy and peace in our in our minds and in our hearts. Um, I just the word perfectionism kept popping into my mind. I I just sense there's some folk among us who may be into sort of perfectionism who think we need to be perfectly uh, achieving stuff in order to win the approval of, of friends or family or even God himself, that kind of performance related thing. Now that, that leads us into a place of real anxiety and of, of comparing ourselves constantly to, to other people. 
could be through social media where we're constantly uh, worrying about our status and how people see us. But it's just that general anxiety, which some of, some of us have, I think, to compete and to be, to keep up with, with others and to be seen in a certain way. Um, that's not a place of peace and security. Um, and that, that's not, that's, that's not the life that God would have for us. He would li- he would have us find joy and peace in his righteous, in his righteousness as a gift and then live from there righteous lives. So if that's you, if you're struggling with perfectionism and, and comparison with, to, to others, if you're seeking your security and identity through comparing yourself to others and you're always feeling that you don't match up somehow, why don't you just pray with, with somebody after the, after the service and just drop Nigel a, a text and just say, I'd, I'd like some, some prayer. Um, that would be really, really good. Um, we're going to finish with uh, uh, the, the hymn, uh, You Are My Vision, which is a slightly uh, newer word to be thou my vision. Thank you.
Philippians 4, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thankfulness, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Remember, if you, if you want prayer, then uh, please